0: What is up? Welcome to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. It's Jamie Dodd, joined as always by my co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Trance who also covers the team at The Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintec Studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, Supported by over 2,500 five star Google reviews, find your perfect fit at kintech.net. 650. 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line.
1: Just when I thought you couldn't
0: sink any lower than <laughs> what's up, you pull what out a. What is up? What is up, fellow kids? You got to mix it up. You got to mix it up sometimes. Do you? Yeah. Do you? <laughs> Every once in a while you do. My goodness. Uh, We got a big show coming up today. Very excited. Uh, Dan Milstein, everyone's favorite agent. Uh, Certainly here in Vancouver, everyone's (laughs) Everyone's favorite (laughs) agent. Everyone's favorite agent. It's true. (laughs) Who doesn't love Dan Milstein? Uh, He's going to join us at 1230. Uh, He's got lots of business going on. (laughs) The people's champ, (laughs) Dan Milstein. And uh, we'll talk to him about uh, all a, of his many Canucks-related clients he, as well. He is everybody's favorite radio guest. I'll tell you that one hundred percent. And uh, we're doing uh, Dimitri a little bit earlier this week. He'll join us in the final segment of the show.
1: What are we going to? What are we going to draft? I don't yeah. know.
0: We got to figure that out. This is normally when we start to think about what we might want to draft. Why don't so. we?
1: Why don't we, in honor of Gavrikov, draft?
0: Free agent defenseman,
1: UFA defenseman,
0: free agent defenseman, based on not like just who's the best, but based on like how much we're going to like their contracts. Okay, why don't we do? Why don't we do UFA defensemen that benefit
1: the most from the Gavrikov comp? Let's do it that way. All right, who 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 owes
0: Gavrikov the nicest steak dinner? (laughs) Yeah, and uh, we'll start there with like kind of a loose end from yesterday's. Uh, three-way trade that we spent a lot of time talking about on the show, which was, of course, the LA Kings clearing salary cap space and immediately the reports that they were going to uh, use that space to sign – Uh, defenseman Vladislav Gavrikov to a new deal. That, just a short time ago, becomes official. Signs, this is an interesting one, for a pending UFA defenseman who showed well in the playoffs, showed well with his new team after the deadline, was going to be one of the highest profile guys available, signs a two-year deal with the LA Kings, 5.875 AAV. Amusingly, Gavrikov's stock was way down
1: last season. Like, uh, 12 months ago, Gavrikov's stock around the league had, like, dropped Mm -hmm. precipitously. And he wasn't having a great year until he went to L.A., and a change of scenery really reinvigorated him. It's almost like we're bad at measuring defensive play. Well— Isn't that stunning? Isn't it stunning how uh, defensive players' circumstances
0: (laughs) materially change Um, as they move teams? Wow. Wow. The other thing, the other interesting thing is, and this is something that uh, Milstein's experiencing with one of his other high-profile clients, Ivan Barbashev, is just what, uh, like, going to a good situation and getting a chance in the spotlight. Now, obviously, Barbashev's played a lot more than Gavrikov. He's going all the way to the Stanley Cup final, but how much that can do for your reputation and your value around the league? His game is also really well-suited for that Kings team, right? Like, his length on the left side
1: was just something they didn't have, and his ability to be, like, a, a... really really high quality skater who's a shutdown guy even though and we've talked about this on the show before like he's not my favorite defenseman because he's a non-physical shutdown defender and that's mm. not like a player type that I tend to like or I tend to love anyway um but on LA on LA he brings that defensive reliability with the speed so you put him with Matt, Matt Roy as they did um for much of the stretch running into the playoffs and like you're really onto something with a shutdown second pair, or at least a really good second pair. And then you know Anderson and Doughty, and you've got four really sturdy defensive players, all of whom can move because Doughty's skating somehow.
0: <laughs> his age is still pretty good. Yeah. So that there you go. Better LA, than pretty good. Uh, one of the most natural a, skaters not a, ever. Not a bad skater. Yeah. Uh, LA signs Vladislav Gavrikov to a 2-year deal and the really fascinating thing about this as I said, you know, it's even the reports yesterday were coming out and I think it was Kevin Weeks first who said, you know, Word I'm hearing is the player only wants a two-year deal. The player is only interested in the two-year deal. He's trying to keep the term down. And that is just so completely opposite from how we normally think about high-profile UFA negotiations, what we normally hear, right? Like, hey, everyone's bidding on this defenseman. Whatever team's willing to go to six years instead of five will probably get him, right? Or are they willing to give this guy that seventh year or that sixth year versus what other players are getting? That's what we're – or what other teams are offering. That's how we're used to hearing it. And this one was the complete flip. And it's probably a smaller AAV. Than he might have been able to get even. Right? Like we heard potentially over six. But it comes in under six. Yeah. He he basically. The
1: cap hit number. Is right in that Esselindell Adam Pelic range. Recognizing the best shutdown defenders in the game effectively. Um, I think it's an open question whether or not. Gavrikov is that guy, personally. Mm-hmm. That's my personal opinion. I view him more as a second pair lefty than a, than a top pair lefty in terms of quality. But when it's a two-year deal, your risk is pretty low. It's very low. I mean, you know, the floor of this, even if he is who I think he is, is that your sort of, like, spend in terms of what he brings versus what he costs your sort of negative surplus value, right, um, is like $3 million over two years? Like, Whatever. You know, you can live with that. Oh, yeah. You know, what kills you is the guy who provides $2 million of value on a $5 million deal and is signed for four more years. Like, that's what destroys teams, right? And that's why if the Canucks are buying a guy out or paying assets to get off the contract, by the way, like, it's got to be one of the two defensemen as opposed to one of the forwards because there's a totally, they're they're in totally different worlds in terms of the value provided for their deal. Yeah. Right? Um, One thing I want to circle back to on this trade. Sorry, I know I'm squirreling the topic. That's all right. Just bear with me, as you always do. Um, I'm used to it. (laughs) (laughs) So, we really were focused on, like, why the Provorov trade was different from the Hironic trade, per me, Mm -hmm. yesterday, and kind of ignored. I think two interesting Canucks relevant questions surrounding this deal, or or actually I've got three for you, okay? The first one is, and I only brought it up briefly, but we never really returned to it, was like, in some ways, and we've talked about it on this show, Philadelphia and Vancouver are like the spiritual kin of being like, Going for it since 2015 yeah. okay. with an astonishing level of a lack of
0: success. Just of, of the how dare you suggest we rebuild. Those were the That was both of their MOs, right? Yeah. It was how dare you. We would never do such a thing.
1: And then there was one. Yeah. Do you react to that by looking at Philadelphia and thinking, like, do you, do you react to that with envy? Or do you look at that and say, there are
0: material reasons why Vancouver would take a different path given the quality of their core? Um I think it's a I do think it was an easier decision in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. right? I think they're at a different they're obviously at a different point in their Cycle, whatever you want to call it, than Vancouver is right now because they don't have the Elias Petterson or the Quinn Hughes on yeah. the roster, or certainly not the combination nope. the, of their, them.
1: Their answer to Quinn Hughes was Nolan Patrick, that didn't work out, right? Their yeah. answer to Quinn Hughes was effectively Ivan Provorov, that didn't work out.
0: Yeah, exactly. So it's it, it, they're at a very different stage. It would be probably more comparable to the Canucks in like 2015 or something. You know what I mean? Or 2014? No, because they weren't that good. But yeah, I get but what you know saying. what I mean. Like it's it feels like the opportunity to do what Philadelphia looks like. Like they're embarking on. It's not right now for the Canucks. It was sometime in the past, like choose whatever year you want. That's the closest comp, but it was sometime in the past where you would have started that process. So in that sense, I look at it and think, you know, what could have been if that process had happened, but I don't necessarily look at it and think they should be emulating Philadelphia right now.
1: So one thing that, you know, for all that my analysis is described as negative, right? Oftentimes, like over the past 18 months when we've been doing the show, right. Is we'll get to a break and I'll start elaborating to you. Like the risk I see or like what I Mm -hmm, see as a worst mm -hmm. case scenario. And it's almost like too negative for radio. (laughs) And then the, and then the, and then the way it actually occurs is worse than anything I'd presented privately. Uh I thought, no, that's even too harsh for this. Right. And so I want to try this this summer. I want to do a better job of accounting for downside risk in our analysis. All right. Right? If the Canucks are 10th in the West next season, let's say 88 points, 10th in the West, four to five points out of a playoff spot. Which, do you think that's a reasonable... I think it's, it's like on the low end of reasonable. Possible.
0: Yeah. It's, it's not like a rosy projection, obviously, but it's not like out of the, out of the question. I don't even
1: think it's a downside risk projection, right? Like a downside risk projection would be like Demko gets hurt again. And sure. you know, Pedersen isn't, a, isn't, doesn't recreate his hundred points and Miller loses a step and they're a 75 point team. Like that's not what we're talking about. 88 points, 10th in the Pacific. Would we then be at a point with this team having missed
0: the playoffs for four straight years? Where you'd have to consider it. I mean, I think you gotta consider maybe not exactly what we'll see what the rest of Philadelphia's process looks like. But I think at that point you have to consider something different. You know what I mean? It can't just be more of the same and the same types of summers. And every team's every team's circumstances are different. You know, and so the the process they take is going to look a little bit different. But whether it's a classic, you know, tear down rebuild or that point or something, but it's just it would have to be different, right? Like you can't just keep banging your head against that wall and coming up short over and over and over again and convincing yourself it'll be okay because you have Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes. Like, they are phenomenal pieces to start building around, but if you're always, you know, maxing out your credit card to push in on one year, but it never works out, like, there has to be a limit of that. If you never have the flexibility to build, you know, you're the ice follies. You have a couple good skaters
1: and and nothing of substance. Um, So, yeah, I mean, that's just... One thing I thought was, was yeah. what does this mean in the, in the context of Philadelphia, the team that has been closest in overall worldview and priorities and stubbornness to the Vancouver Canucks, actually belatedly, you know, doing the
0: Macklin-Celebrini thing, <laughs> driving a tank down Broad Street. Philly was also always that team that, uh, not just Canucks fans, but like any team around the NHL could be like, I wonder if we could convince them to take our bad contract. Like, they're just goofy enough. They might do it. And that seems to be out the window now, too. So that's the end of an era for Philly there. I'd even argue that, like,
1: Vancouver and Philly have, like, traded the goalie graveyard back and forth.
0: Oh, that's interesting.
1: You know what I'm saying? Like... When when Vegas or sorry when Philly had some stability there with like Hextall, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. The Canucks had nothing, nothing. Yep. And then the Canucks have this like short Kirk McLean run, or not short Kirk McLean run, but like a five year Kirk McLean run before he was a below average guy because the butterfly came in and his style was kind of passe. And then the Flyers have the Czech manic run, and like since the Canucks have got Luongo, it's been like all bad
0: news. Uh, yes, it's been a tough scene for the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, and now and they then might
1: trade Carter Hart. Well, but but the Canucks goaltending was elite when Carter Hart fell off. Carter Hart bounces back this season. The Canucks have the worst, what, the second worst goaltending in the league. I mean, it's it's spooky. That's funny. They're they're playing like goalie graveyard hot potato. Yeah, the Flyers and the Canucks. Okay, here's a fun one, and I'll invite the audience to be uh, engaged as well. The three team trade we saw pitted three different sets of priorities. Yep, all of which. I think could realistically apply to the Canucks if you squint, if you sort of tilt your head in an angle and 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 reframe the debate. The Kings were the team chopping or lopping cap space off the books, mm-hmm. right? The Columbus Blue Jackets were the team trying to accelerate out of a rebuild adding the best player in the deal quote unquote. And the Philadelphia Flyers we the team weaponizing cap space to maximize their return on a distressed asset. Which type of deal, which situation would you most like to see the Canucks be in
0: this summer? Who most like to see them or think that I will see them in? Well, just what, with, what bill fits like what what shoe fits this team best? It's in a weird way. It's probably the L.A. side of things, even though there—that's like the biggest gap in team quality. Uh, although I know Columbus was awful this year, but because it feels Vancouver's like...
1: materially better than the other two teams in this deal.
0: Yeah, no, no, hundred yeah. percent. But i am just mean like L.A. has been a playoff team the last couple of years, and you know they—they they have all the prospects coming and all that. But it feels like the Canucks have already made their Provorov deal, right, in the Ronick deal. So now, because of the, and they're also the team with the most salary cap committed, if they're going to follow any of those priorities that we saw from these three teams, like it's probably the one that's most likely to happen is spending assets to create cap space so you can sign a UFA. Not a UFA who's necessarily on your roster right now, but a UFA. So your argument is there's only one that's actually relevant to them at all. Probably, like, is it possible that they could do another version of the Provorov chronic deal? Yeah, it's possible, right? With a first-round pick, with a you know, they don't have a second to give up. But like, if, if, you're, if you're sending big money out, yeah, sure. sure, something like that could happen. But I would say it's less likely than a you know, a mid-round pick and a prospect to open up salary cap space mm. to do something with. That seems much more likely than we're making a splash by trading mm. premium draft capital at this point.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, part of my criticism of the chronic trade and of Vancouver's activity um, ahead of the deadline was, like, they've only given themselves one path, and it's the path that you should only be on if you're an elite team, right? The shoestring path, right? That's That's been my issue with how the Canucks have set themselves up. That's why I keep referring to them as, you know, painted into a corner on, or on the back foot. Um, all right, and then here's the other one. Here's the other Canucks rele- relevant question. It's pretty clear that Briere was the architect of this deal. Right, but at what point does it become fair to look askance at this n- relatively new still Canucks hockey operations group and wonder, "Hey, where's your creative cap dump? Where- where's the deal where you guys position yourself as a third party broker to a deal that really shouldn't involve you otherwise, mm-hmm. and you clear eight point six million in long term liabilities? Like, where's your?" ability to be in that market.
0: It's tough because I think it's fair to look at it and up to this point, say they have failed to open up salary cap flexibility. I think you could make an argument. They misread the market on players like Garland and Besser last year. And that now they're in this position. And also because of the new commitments they've added. Yeah. But sorry with Besser and Miller. No. And Garland because of, I think they probably could have traded Garland at a less, Like at at more value last summer than they could now. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I mean, they were there were there were
1: talks and like teams were they were definitely shopping Garland ahead of the draft and teams were not reluctant to part with much then. So I don't know that the fair enough. The 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 market was not robust last year. I think it's less robust now. Well, but that's again. I'm not an insider. I'm not so no no no. I think you're right. But the problem now isn't like there are teams. Make no mistake. That would value Garland Mm -hmm. Garland. If Garland is bought out, for example, he's going to have a market immediately. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it's not that he has zero value. It's that his value is polarizing. There are teams that really value him and there are teams that don't. So if you're a team that really values Garland and you know, you're one of a few, right? It's like the guy you have 25th in your list for your fo- fantasy football draft, but everyone else has forty five. Like, are you yeah. taking him with a second round pick or early third? Are you taking him at the two three turn? Or are you waiting another round? You know how you know the score. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. So teams aren't exactly going to throw the Canucks a life preserver here.
0: Yeah, exactly. But again, my I I think there's you're more likely to get some sort of tangible return last summer. But anyways, sure. my point is, just because you can you can look back and have very fair criticisms about an inability to open up salary cap space that doesn't mean I necessarily think they should go out and do what the Kings just did, which is pay to open up salary cap space this summer, right? Like, just because you didn't find a way to do it in the past doesn't therefore mean you have to give up good assets to do it right now. Team run it back. Yeah, exactly. But if you're going to clear cap space,
1: there's a cost to it. Yes. Which is, again, why I've kept saying things like, I'm not sure they... Properly valued, taking Bovillier back, right? I'm not sure they properly valued paying to take on additional cap commitments for heronic given how weird I expect this summer to look.
0: And you know what? If we're hearing from Patrick Alvin a few days after free agency has opened, and the Canucks haven't moved one of Garland or Besser or Myers, and the messaging we're hearing is, you know what? We talked to teams, but it just the value wasn't there for us. It didn't make sense for us where we are See, right now. I,
1: I think that's unacceptable.
0: Really, but see, but uh, yeah. why, why, why are they going to pay we the cost are, to get on of it? Because
1: because they came out in free agency and said we're comfortable with our ability and options to to move cap. We are going. They've projected confidence in this. They've talked about it as a priority. They've hinted uh, publicly and privately that they are going to be aggressive in moving cap space. So to fail to do so, even if they have the discipline to not overpay to do so, I, I don't think that's acceptable given the standard that they've set. Given their own logic in explaining the way that
0: they position themselves, I just don't see right now a way to do it that doesn't create significant pain, like an unacceptable level of pain in the future. That's yeah. the thing, right? Well, yeah, you may be right. Like, I mean, you may be right. Now, I if they, we'll see. That doesn't uh, I, mean there's. I, I tend to agree. With that doesn't you, mean I'm there's listening. no scenario in which I would like applaud them for doing it. But my point is, if it's just going to be a straightforward, like here's a second, here's Niels Hoaglander, and and we're opening up five million or whatever of cap space for it, like that feels like an unforced error. I'm not I'm not going to say, well, hey, at least they stuck to their priorities and did it. It's just no, you you would have been better just to say, look, we thought we were going to be able to, the prices were too high, so we didn't do it. That that's what I would prefer to see. Yeah, no, in no, that no. Situation. fair
1: enough. And and I just think that exposes the flaw in the big picture strategy. I know we got to go to break because we got Dan Milstein coming up, so we can get back to this table. This, but for later. I do
0: think you're like. That's looking at it what I'm describing is looking at it over the next you know two months or whatever, right? But if you stretch it back to the beginning of the tenure, then you're right. you shouldn't have added the extra commitments you had unless you were actually confident that you were going to be able to open up the salary cap flexibility in another way or prepared to pay for I it mean, or whatever right I mean, like so if you look at it from the beginning, I get what you're saying. It's been mismanaged. But if you're just talking about it over the next six weeks or whatever, I I don't need to see them spend to get out of it.
1: Well, and it's the tears for fears thing. Like, the the situation you've outlined, for me, I think that's unacceptable because it exposes a level uh, of strategic misunderstanding cap-wise that I think is really concerning for for this management group's ability to build a team, like, if that's how it plays out. Mm -hmm. But I also think it's better than what I'd consider to be the worst-case scenario, which is you strike out in finding a move and then either part with 11 to get off of a really bad deal, or, and this to me is almost worse because it's more cynical, or you get to the very last day of the buyout window and then buy out Connor Garland, even though he's, like, clearly the last of the quote-unquote problem contracts that he mm-hmm. should get rid of. But it's the, you know, Myers is unbuyoutable, OEL is a little bit too Very punitive, expensive. yep. And Besser's the contract this management group did, so that's an awful lot more difficult to explain internally. Um, that to me is like adjacent to the worst case scenario. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think, but I think all of those options are uh, really troubling, and, and I think warrant would warrant significant criticism given how this management group has discussed cap space, the the comfort that they felt in their options prior to this off and what this team should be expected to do,
0: having made the win now moves they have next season. Yeah, the tough thing about a Connor Garland one would be that he's also it also just clears the least space, right? Because he makes less than Pesser, he makes less than Oel, he likes less than Myers. Well, he's got the extra year, and he which got is the extra problem. year, so it stretches on. Like that would be a really, really tough one, and that's the kind of move that I don't want to see the team make uh, coming up in this off season. Um, some good questions coming in about. Uh, how players are going to manage the fact that there is still a flat a flat cap but uh, we all know the salary cap is going to go up in the near future and that's one of the things we will talk to uh, Dan Milstein next of course NHL agent for Vladislav Gavrikov Ivan Barbashev and a host of Canucks players so we'll talk to Dan Milstein that's coming up next it is Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trans, live from the Kintex studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Uh, Austin and Langley text in, uh, ask Dan. That's Dan Milstein who's going to be joining us momentarily ask Dan if he misses breaking Canucks news every week. Uh, I'm sure he does, but uh, we'll have lots to talk to. Uh, It is uh, NHL agent, CEO of the Gold Star, Dan Dan Milstein, joining us uh, here on Canucks Talk right now. Dan, first of all, congratulations to you and Vladislav Gavrikov on the new deal, and thanks very much for making time for us.
2: Of course. Thank you very much for having me on.
0: Uh, It's our pleasure, and uh, we're really excited to chat with you. So first, just tell us a little bit about... Um, how the deal for Gavrikov in L.A. came together, why it was the right fit, and why a two-year deal specifically uh, made sense for the player.
2: Well, Vlad wanted uh, a two-year, uh, two-year uh, contract. Uh, he liked uh, uh, L.A. good, and then, uh, obviously we're expecting the salary cap to go up, uh, And uh, but most importantly, um, Vlad uh, would be hitting the free agency again at the age of 29. Hopefully uh, the next deal would be with the same team, LA Kings. They've been very kind and nice uh, to Vlad, and he's enjoyed uh, playing, uh, playing there. And uh, we'll, we'll go at it again uh, in a year or two.
1: Dan, as we go through this offseason where the market is going to be shaped by sort of the last gasp of the flat cap era, Um, You've done a couple of high-profile UFA contracts that lasted two years. Obviously, Gavrikov and and Andre Kuzmenko in Vancouver, as our listeners will be familiar with. Um, How do you talk through the unique cap situation and what it means for players when you're discussing options with your pending UFA clients?
2: Well, um, it's no secret that the salary cap would go up significantly over the next couple of years. Um, and uh, each player has uh, unique uh, circumstances. For example, uh, Andrei Kuzmenko only had uh, played uh, what, under 60 games at the time when we mm. uh, we were able to resign him. And the 60-game 60, 60 sampling size wasn't enough uh, to go after the eight-year commitment. And then also, uh, at that particular point in time, in January, uh, I believe we, uh, we also uh, wanted to make sure that... Uh, It was the right fit. We knew that the uh, coaching change was going to come in. Um, We also knew that uh, uh, salary cap would be going up, and uh, so there were many other factors. And uh, it was just the right uh, fit. The two-year commitment was good for the team and also was very good for the player. And um, if Andre continues scoring at uh, 39-40 goals a season, then uh, obviously uh, he would be able to earn more. And most importantly, he'd be able to help uh, his uh, team to compete for the Stanley Cup. Yeah. Uh, Vlad, Vlad on the other hand, was a totally different circumstance. He didn't want to make a, a eight-year commitment or a long-term commitment. Uh, he felt that uh, two years would be enough to see how well the team would uh, um, uh, would do, uh, whether he's going to have a chance to win the Stanley Cup. Uh, winning is extremely important to Vlad. Mm-hmm. That's why he uh, considered and that's why he accepted a two-year commitment, uh, just to see... Uh, where things would go and uh, most importantly have a chance at uh, uh, playing uh, uh, playing spring and if you will summer hockey.
1: Dan with how the cap is set up does sort of the term there does the, does the potential that in locking into a long-term deal now a player may end up being undervalued over the life of a long-term commitment does that weigh at all in a player's decision at this time of year and given the environment that we're in?
2: I mean, different circumstances, but look, uh, winning is extremely important. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that is that, that is number one. Uh, in addition to that, also uh, different objectives and or financial plans. Uh, look, uh, you know, Sergeyev last summer, uh, Kucherov, uh, what, four years ago, mm-hmm. Veseleski three years ago, uh, We uh, we accepted eight-year commitments. You know, I have some other guys that are coming up um, this year and the next year we would most likely be looking at uh, at a long-term commitments but uh in vlad's case it made more sense uh for him to take a long uh, to take a short-term deal and uh at uh, 29 uh, uh go at it again
0: yeah you mentioned that right the opportunity to get back on the Ufa market at 29 that'll be the same as the case for andre kuzmenko who's 27 now. As well, how important is that? Just the ability to have another chance to go through the unrestricted free agency process before you turn thirty for these players.
2: Well, uh, 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 first of all, it's nerve wracking as you as you can imagine. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for the for the player, for the family, uh, and stuff like that too. And then usually guys uh, don't want to move the teams, but sometimes you know things happen in life, and uh, in some cases, it's about uh, maximizing uh, your income potential uh to the max sometimes it's about winning and uh and winning more than um more than not because look uh, uh in in the in the end no one's going to remember you because you made uh you know uh, 6.1 million dollars versus 5.8 but uh everyone's going to remember uh, uh you winning the sun Cup and the memories uh, for yourself and your family and loved ones uh are forever
1: Dan I want to talk about another pending UFA client of yours who's still playing at this time of year and uh isn't just still playing but is a, <laughs> a dominant physical force in the stanley cup final you represent ivan Barbashev. um what what has this run meant to him how impressed have you been by what he's accomplished here
2: well uh ivan um, hopefully would be a two times stanley cup champion um and uh you know obviously you know uh, we have players on both sides uh here, but uh, mm-hmm. Ivan's been outstanding. He played the same way back, and he was obviously a little bit younger and had a different role in the team. But he was dominant uh, in St. Louis's run for the Cup back in 2019. He's doing it again. Um, I think he um, he fits uh, well with the teammates. Uh, for Ivan, it's about winning. He was extremely excited when he found out that uh, um, that uh, uh, Vegas was the team interested and was about to make a trade, and um, you know he's uh, he's having. One hell of a uh, spring, and uh, hopefully soon he would uh, have an opportunity to lift uh, yet another Stanley Cup up above his head.
0: Yeah, and one one of the inter- things, interesting things about both Gavrikov and Barbashev, obviously pending UFAs now Gavrikov has signed, but they get traded at the deadline, they go to new teams, and they both play really, really well. And obviously everyone knew they were good players before those trades, but I think they really got a chance to show what they can do and show their value. And it's an interesting thing because you don't get to have a say in where you get traded to. What was your reaction? And what's your reaction generally if a client of yours gets moved at the deadline to a new situation?
2: Well, m- m- more so than not, uh, we were expecting. And obviously, in Ivan's case, uh, he decided not to resign with St. Louis, so we knew that uh, uh, St. Louis wasn't making the playoffs. And same thing in, in Columbus's case. I mean, unfortunately, with Columbus, uh, Vlad uh, uh, was a healthy scratch due to due to the possible trade for what, if I recall correctly, about nine games or so. Uh, so obviously, it was not good to just uh, you know be taken out of the lineup and uh, watch your team lose every night. Uh, from upstairs but uh, uh you know it was not a surprise for a uh, Vlad uh, and or for Ivan that they were going to be moved to the deadline and uh, it was, it was, it was, we were just basically sitting there and waiting for it to happen
0: and you know again both of them have fit so well with their new teams obviously Barbashev still and Gavrikov when he was playing with LA when you would get a, a player on the two unrestricted free agency on the free agent market as you said, there's more than just money. How important is fit and making sure you find a team with the right spot for you to play where the player is going to be able to uh, get the most out of himself on the ice?
2: Well, yeah, you, you know, I just heard a very, very interesting quote from one of the players that you cannot feed your family with the medals. Um, and so, obviously, my job as an agent to make sure that they get the most value, the most dollars, but at the same time, we want to make sure that they're in a the perfect fit. And so as an agent, you look for the best opportunity for the player, for the family. Um, and, uh, and at the same time, once again, I cannot feed a family with the medals or with a former, you know, with, uh, you know, just uh, up. so uh, obviously maximizing the income potential is as important as winning.
1: Dan, turning you our attention to some of your Canucks clients, I just want to ask you about Ilya Mikheyev. Last we heard from him on Locker Room clean-out Day, his recovery was progressing well. He expected to get back on the ice. I think it was June, uh, sometime in and around there. How's his recovery progressing in the two months since?
2: He is, uh, I, I saw him a few days ago. Um, we, uh, you know, obviously we chat almost uh, daily. Mm-hmm. He's in good spirits. He's recovering nicely. Um, he's back in the gym. Um, and sometime uh, late June, early July, he would uh, start skating. Uh, so we expect a full recovery, and and uh, hopefully Ilya would be ready for the start of the training camp.
0: Do you get the sense that uh, we didn't really get to see the best of Ilya Mikheyev in a Canucks jersey? I mean, he was he played very well and he was very productive. But do, do you think he has even another level uh, to reach when he comes you, back
2: healthy? You absolutely, you absolutely have not seen Ilya Mikheyev. Uh, you will see Ilya Mikheyev come come this fall. Um, unfortunately, he got injured uh, uh, early in the preseason, and um, he was um, he was at forty sixty percent. Uh, so y- you have not seen Ilya Nikif that you will that I promise you you will see later this season, or this next season.
1: For Canucks fans active on Instagram, uh, tracking Andre Kuzmenko's global travels. Uh, has been an interesting <laughs> part of this off season. He's an interesting guy, isn't he, Dan? Like he—he he doesn't seem he wired a, he, like an he, average he, hockey player.
2: Uh, well, you're gonna make me tell some of his secrets, but okay. So Andre, <laughs> uh, Andre is at an undisclosed location somewhere. I'm not telling you where, but uh, in in in, uh, in, uh, in in a very 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 nice area. But let me tell you about something about Andre. Andre has a—he um, uh, has a coach who lives with him. It's the same coach who has had and trained Pavel Datsuk off ice for a number of years. So, um, so uh, uh, this person, the coach, is with uh, living with Andre, uh, working with him every single day. So Andre is uh, has learned obviously a lot from his first pro year in North America, um, coming obviously out of Russia KHL, and some uh, and so he's taking his uh, uh, physical condition to the next level. And um, so he's very serious about it. Like I said, he's got a uh, he's got a personal uh, trainer who's with him 24/7. And uh, I told him to sit as far from the table as possible. And so <laughs> he's doing just that. Uh, and uh, so you will see a newly new and improved Andrei Kuzmenko.
0: Uh, we're in conversation. That's advice I need, by the way, Dan. <laughs> Sit farther away from the table. Yeah, I wish. <laughs> I wish that worked for me. Unfortunately, uh, in, we're in conversation with NHL agent Dan Milstein here at Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650, and you know Kuzmenko, he had such a, a successful first year in the NHL coming over from Russia, you know, the Canucks make the coaching change and Rick Tockett comes in. And I think it's fair to say that there were times where Tockett challenged Kuzmenko, maybe wanted to see certain uh, things change in his game. How did, uh, how did Andre Kuzmenko react to the coaching change and and some of the things that Tockett was asking from him?
2: So first of all, um, it was not a successful campaign last season uh i'll leave you with this quote success is never owned it is rented and the rent is due every day so andre uh was borrowing the success and worked hard at it each and every day and he's going to do the same thing this summer uh but uh he uh obviously he uh, he accepted the challenge uh from the coach he worked uh, close with uh rick tuckett um and uh uh he um you know he he's taking the game to the next level there are some some things that uh Andre is working uh, on right now to improve and so so that by the time next season rolls uh, he'll be in much better position to take his game to the next level and uh, hopefully he'll score more than 39 goals
0: Uh, that would be great a lot of Canucks fans will be very excited about that Dan we really appreciate your time I know you got a busy schedule you got to run thank you for making time for us and congratulations again to you and uh, Vladislav Gavrikov on the new deal
2: Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on.
0: That is Dan Milstein, CEO of Gold Star Hockey. Uh, my favorite NHL agent. I think most people's favorite NHL agent, certainly here in Vancouver with the amount of airtime he gets. Uh, the people's champ, <laughs> Dan Milstein. A fantastic, a fantastic uh, answer there on Andre Kuzmenko. You know, Sounds like he's having a big summer. He's trying to have a big summer, per Rick Tockett, right? Training with Pavel Datsyuk's coach, sitting far away from the table. There you go.
1: He's working on his reach. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's gonna come back as a latter-day Willie Mitchell.
0: A lot there with uh, with Dan Milstein. We didn't get have a chance just to touch quickly on, you know, Vitali Kraftsov going back to the KHL, Danila Klimovich, as as we said, uh, Milstein with a busy schedule and had to run. But, you know, we started off talking about just kind of the dynamics of okay, you have a high-profile UFA and they choose to only sign a two year deal and he kind of walked us through the considerations you know every player is different uh Tyler texts in why would Elias Pettersson sign a deal uh until uh, sign a deal until at least next trade deadline when he knows what is happening with the cap uh that is unless he is willing to take a haircut uh seeing how often top-loaded teams fail that question comes in from Tyler but I think basically the gist of it there is okay if we're gonna see guys knowingly take short-term, shorter-term deals here, is that something that's going to extend all the way up the pyramid, right, to the kind of top echelon of NHL contracts like Elias Pettersson? Is that something that makes it more difficult to start those negotiations or at least finish those negotiations uh this offseason? I, I think this is a bit of a cop-out because I do think it's an interesting – question and it's one worth thinking about but i think also what dan milstein had to say there is that well every player is different and every circumstance is different and the guy the players appetite for the risk of it appetite for the uncertainty is going to vary wildly but but i think at the at the bare minimum it's at least a path that more players are going to think about over the next however many weeks here well and i mean you know in some ways milstein wasn't going to tip his hand but it's pretty clear
1: that He's advising clients to to gamble on themselves, bet on themselves, right? And and I don't think that's a bad approach. In terms of Pedersen, you know, I'm of two minds here because on the one hand, Cole Caulfield just signed for eight years, and he's a CAA client, mm-hmm. right? Represented by JP Barry and uh, and Pat Person, I think is the primary on his file. So clearly, CAA is not queasy about the possibility of going long now. On the other hand, Caulfield was up. He had to sign for something. Yep. So it was bridge or this. And this gets him paid an awful lot more and awful lot quicker than doing the two-year deal, right? Like, for Cole Caulfield, doing a two-year deal means making $5 million in the next two years as opposed to 14 right? I mean, it's a huge difference. Maybe it's more than that, but it's not a lot more, right? Like, we see those bridge deals. If you're only doing a two-year deal, you're looking at probably like $5 million, $5 million per maybe mm-hmm. with his production profile. Um, you know, you get up to three, you probably get up to seven. Uh, maybe six. So anyway, there was real significant short-term incentive for him to go long. Petterson's not done his deal yet.
0: Right? That, like that's he's gonna a huge part of this. He's
1: gonna play next season anyway on his next contract, regardless of whether or not he extends quickly or not. Um so I suppose that
0: alters the balance a bit, but you know, I don't know that it's well, the other part of that though, the flip side of that is that everyone kind of is going in, at least slightly, with eyes wide open about what's happening with the cap, right? So mm. like if I was Elias Petterson's agent or representation you know, part of me is saying, well, yeah, the cap is this right now, but we all know where it's going. And and, my, and this deal is not even going to kick in until that year. So, I, I like, I, to me, you're almost already negotiating in the no longer flat cap world if you're in a Elias Petters situation and you have one year left on your deal, right? Because you're saying, hey, it's not even going to kick in until the cap starts going up. So why am I going to pretend that like we're still living in flat cap world?
1: But then you're subject to how willing a team is to accept – a rosy projection. Right? And if there's one thing I know about teams, or at least the people actually, like, I mean, GMs are a different story, but, like, the the people who actually manage the cap day-to-day and have mm-hmm. the spreadsheets and, and look at this and worry about this and lose sleep over it, right? They're the most conservative prognosticators you'll find. Like, right. you talk to an actual cap guy and they're like, I'm assuming no growth. It's, it's like... Gonna go down! And, <laughs> like, what? And, and the conversation around the cap is like, it's going to go, you know, and they'd be like, look at the housing market! <laughs> and like they raise interest rates this isn't secure so it's just i mean that's that's a dynamic right like well and i guess it's, it, it's it's i'll add it to my pamphlet right players that like their coach very short pamphlet okay um coaches that like their team even shorter pamphlet <laughs> capologists that think the cap will go up extremely short cap uh, or sorry that are counting on the cap going yep. up Extremely short pamphlet.
0: That's just dynamics in the league. I mean, that is the kind of different perspective, which are both very reasonable, right? Like, it's if Elias Pettersson comes and his agents come with that kind of point of view and the team comes with the point of view you're describing like neither side's being silly, neither side's being goofy. That's a very, those are reasonable differences. But when you have those sorts of reasonable differences, like that's the kind of thing that can put a snag in negotiations. I'm not sure, I'm not saying it's going to happen like that, but it's just, it's another thing that you have to negotiate and you have to navigate. And we've heard from Elias Pettersson's agent, right? We're going to see what happens with some of the RFAs this year. We've highlighted Trevor Zegras as one to really pay attention to there. Again, though Zegers' contract is up, right? So his deal is going to go into effect this year. His deal is going to go into effect in the flat cap environment, uh, and that could be something that changes it a little bit uh, from a from an Elias Patterson perspective. Uh, by the way, Dan Milstein was talking about. You know, hey, Andre Kuzmenko is 27, signs a two-year deal, gets to hit UFA again when he's 29. Same thing with Vladislav Gavrikov. Uh, Ivan Barbashev, also 27. So if you want to start uh, getting your your prop bets in, I don't know if you can do this anywhere, but on Ivan Barbashev signing a two-year UFA deal, that becomes a very interesting well, proposition. And, and this is what's
1: interesting about it, right, Is is these guys are really rolling the dice, right? Like Gavrikov mm-hmm. turned, if we're being real, right like a really strong 12 week run into a perch at the top of a group of UFA defensemen like i mean i mean i was saying i thought he'd be the highest paid guy by AAV 5.7 i think that puts me in with a shot i still i th- I, I think, think Severson, Severson will, will beat will it come out, yeah. i think Severson will beat it but i it puts him in with a shot without question and so you know the but but that was like he was in an extremely strong negotiating position, mm-hmm. coming off of a you know f- level of playoff form that caught the eyes of the league. Uh, Andre Kuzmenko was in the midst of a career year. Now, as he said, Kuzmenko didn't really have the body of work necessarily to get the home run sort of long term deal, but
0: but I mean yeah he was shooting the lights out. Kuzmenko, in a way, it makes more sense for that reason, right? Because you don't necessarily you could see even a one year or a two year deal, like, hey, do it again, and then really put yourself in a position to cash in, right? Well, for sure, but
1: also, you know, if I'm the player, I'm like, man, be nice to get paid off of that. Be nice to get paid off of that. Well, and and Barbashev, I mean, Barbashev, this is the Brian Bickel run, like Bickleshev. That's that's basically what we're seeing, <laughs> you know, like the the backyard of players that have had killer performances in the Stanley Cup playoffs and gotten paid an ungodly amount of money that the teams almost instantly regret, like would fill a backyard. Right. I mean, um, or sorry, would there's just like money lined underneath the, the, the grass. It's, I mean, Fernando Pisani is just like whenever, every time he goes out to get a DQ blizzard or something, he like goes <laughs> out, puts the shovel in Yoel Armia. Yeah. You'll you know, Yoel Armia, have you heard from Yoel Armia since that playoff run?
0: Uh, I did see that he was one of the uh, popular buyouts on Cap Friendly today. No kidding. <laughs> there was like three Habs on top of the list. I was like, oh, interesting.
1: Brian Bickle, Scott Darling. I mean, go down the list. Like every year in the Stanley Cup final, there's some guy in the contract year who you're just watching and being like, oh, boy. Oh, boy. And, and I mean, that could be Barbashev if he wants it. And I think it'll be phenomenally telling if he doesn't. And, and, you know, look, he could cash in on it. I mean, he's really good. He's
0: awesome. He is absolutely awesome.
1: On the wing.
0: Well, but the interesting thing is with Barbashev, because you could look at it and say, oh, if teams really view him as a winger and not a center, does that depress his value? But he's showing you how good he can be on the wing. Well, you know what I mean? But in a have... way, it kind of it, it cancels that out a little bit because he's like, no, 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 just play me on the wing and I'll be an absolute wrecking ball for you. He's... The thing about the
1: low value of wingers is if you prove you can destroy people physically, you're still getting your money.
0: That's the thing. So like, he's kind of, he's like, yeah, sure, play me at wing. I don't care. You don't think I'm a center? You still have to pay me because I'm that good. It's one thing to be a skilled winger, right? Perimeter guy. It's another to be
1: Barbashev or Matthew Kachuk. I mean, Matthew Kachuk went for an absolute haul. Yeah. In the same summer that the winger market collapsed otherwise, why? He was not subject to the market forces because he was not comparable. He was not seen as an ordinary winger. He was seen as a you know mystical beast power forward. And and Barbashev's obviously not at that level, but his physical edge, the physical edge he's bringing, makes him a distinct property from the, the market. I think the other interesting
0: thing uh, that Milstein said in that conversation, and this is something he said to you and I right after kuzmenko signed his new deal as well which was hey it's only a two-year deal he didn't phrase it like this but it's a two-year deal which means next summer right after this season these guys are eligible to start talking extension with their current team and he kind of said in both cases like hey in a year from now we'll get going on the next one we'll start talking about the next one and see if we can sign it so it's two-year deals that he's signing but he's also very much kind of positioning it as Okay, we've done this one. And just in a year, if my client keeps doing this, we're going to be right back here. We're going to be talking about what that next deal looks like. It's not just, you know, two years and then we'll hit July 1st and see what happens. He's kind of already laying the groundwork for a further deal uh, with the current teams of these guys, which I think is a really fascinating negotiating strategy. And it's one of these things, again, that, you know, the unique circumstances of the flat cap, the end of the flat cap era coming, it creates all of these different uh, p- potential possibilities and and avenues for agents and players to try uh we will take a break Dmitry Filipovich is going to join us in the final segment but we got one more open segment coming up before that any thoughts questions you have 650 650 hit us up to the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox and uh, we will continue to talk about what the offseason could look like for the Canucks and around the NHL it is Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650
3: Get smarter when you listen to Hockey Talk, the Hockey PDO cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650 and what's up <laughs> and also what's up uh, Jamie Dodd Thomas Trance here Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment be a champion on the worksite find them together online at DLEAMC.com coming to you live from the Kintec studio Kintec footwear and orthotics Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find That's your perfect a lot of fit reviews. K- it's so many reviews, really, when you think about it, at kintech.net. Uh, it's already gone up once, from 1,500 oh. to 2,500. I'm really excited for it now when it flips to thirty-five hundred. I'm like, gonna be like amped. It's I'm gonna, like gonna be really, a, really fired up. It's like
1: when you were a kid moving, uh, driving by McDonald's, <laughs> right? Like yeah. ninety-nine billion served.
0: Wow, when, when are they gonna change it? Like, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly. I how saw I feel it change
1: it. once. I saw the number change once, and I like Still went to school and it. told everybody. Yeah, it was like a big moment in my life. Uh, it's gonna be a big moment in
0: my life. Your life
3: peaked that day. <laughs> How
0: dare you, Dom? Uh 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber Text line. Um, before we get into the uh Dunbar Lumber Text line, there's a couple of questions I want to uh I want to address in there. Just um kind of wrapping up the the Vladislav Gavrikov talk, right? Because as you said, guy, guy at the top of the unrestricted free agent market for defensemen. He's off the market. If you are a UFA defenseman or an agent for a UFA defenseman, are you looking at this as ooh that's a really nice deal for us I like you know he's off the market now so there's uh more contenders that are going to be interested in me or more suitors and interested in me how in your perspective does this affect if at all the the rest of the UFA market on oh, the blue line I think I think uh
1: certainly the top end guys your Graves Severson mm-hmm. tier um that's a very very favorable comp to take to market right i mean from a points perspective, like, Gavrikov had one sort of outlier season where he was in the mid-30s, maybe even high 30s. Mm-hmm. I'd have to double-check at 33. But, I mean, we're talking about a guy with 82 points in 276 games. You know, obviously the defensive impact and the skating is is the big reason why he's getting paid the way he is. But if you're Damon Severson, you know, and you've been a 40-point guy, um, you know, you've, you've scored 10-plus goals twice – um, you know, 263 points in 647 games, you know, you're, you're looking at that and thinking, oh boy, like that's tasty. And, and I think for Graves too, I mean, Ryan Graves is no slouch, right? Ryan Graves has better five-on-five rate stats than Gavrikov. Um, granted, some of that is uh, as a result of playing on far, far more yes, dynamic teams. On really, really good teams. But even if you look at it as uh, isolated to primary points only, right? um Graves shows well. You're you're I'm bigger than this guy, right? My my team had more success in the playoffs this year. I was a big part of that. And I have 100 points in 302 games. I've scored more. Yeah. So this is a very favorable comp for that scale of defender. Um you know, I do think it's it, there's a trickle down effect down market too, right? If the prices push these guys uh, or if the if the market prices push some of these guys a little bit higher, mm-hmm. then that might increase the demand around a player like a Luke Shen, yep, and and potentially drive his
0: price and, up a bit. And too. I think even though even the just the player type that Gavrikov is, right, because teams can convince themselves like, hey, they're paying five, that team's paying five point eight seven five for like you know a defensive defenseman, and this guy, hey, he's really good at defense too, so we're gonna give him you know three and a half four million and. I mean, that's one of the ways you end up with, like, an Erica Branson contract from last year or something like that, right? And so I think the fact that it's not a guy who's known for his production, he's not getting paid for his points production, as you say, that can have even more of a trickle-down effect uh, to the rest of the UFA market. And, I mean, the the defenseman market is always uh, really, really fascinating when it comes to free agency. Well, and you will find yourself, like, there is a
1: player that we are looking at as like a really credible option, that for whatever reason the league will disagree with our assessment, right? I mean mm. that this is the thing about the conversation around Provorov, for example, that bothers me, right? Like mm-hmm. he's discussed certainly on hockey Twitter, like a bum, but the return here is meaningful, right? Like clearly, yeah, the return around the league, yeah. He had value. He was value. There was a team willing to part with a first and a second to get him, provided that some was retained. I mean, that's a valuable piece. That's a player with real value. So, you know, I think the, and even the amount retained, right? It's like you look at the Heronic and Chikorin trades as like a comparable price, a first, a second, right? Mm-hmm. And what do Heronic and Chikorin have in common, right? Multiple years of team control plus, you know, salaries under five million. So it's like we'll pay the price of these two comparable players, provided that if the it cap gets, hit if matches it gets under five million. Yeah. Right. I mean that's the logic from Columbus's end. Yep. So he he effectively was valued similarly, even if Philly ultimately you'd say their return is worse because they had to take back bad money.
0: Yeah, and those guys all in the same age range as well. Obviously, Chikun a little younger, Provorov's the oldest, Hronik in the middle, but basically it's like, okay, if you're a legit 24 top four,
1: to 26 year old who's making under 5 million, yeah, here's first and what it second? Is. First and second. And so, you know, it's an interesting dynamic there, but there's a guy, you know, maybe it's a you know, honestly maybe it's like Well, certainly I think it's Dumoulin. Right, I think Dumoulin. People who pro scouts who watch the games will understand how many clicks off his fastball Dumoulin Mm -hmm. um, sort of lost. But there, there's you know some random dude in this uh, UFA defenseman class who's going to have value far more like far more limited value than we expect. Maybe it's Connor Clifton. Maybe maybe teams view him as a depth piece despite what he accomplished in Boston this past season. I think that would be wild. And if his market value is is underwater or lower than we expect. Like teams should be falling all over themselves to clear space to bid there. Um, here's another under the radar winner here Scott Mayfield. All right. Like Mayfield quietly has begun to play top pairing minutes mm-hmm. over the past few seasons, right? I mean, he was a depth guy three years ago, but he was a credible top four guy in terms of ice time last year. Then they changed coaches and Lane Lambert rode him. Like he played a lot. He's right-handed.
0: He's physical. He's six foot five. <laughs> He's six foot five. <laughs> that like winner from the Gavrikov deal, and also just winner from what Vegas is doing right now. You totally. know what I mean? Like if if you're like okay, teams are going to try to copy this. Scott Mayfield, very well, very well positioned to take advantage.
1: Will of that. I have sticker shock if Scott Mayfield is a five million dollar player over nope. five years? I won't at this nope. point.
0: Uh, absolutely not. That's it. That like with all of the factors that you laid out and the Vegas thing. And you just look at like, there's always one completely unexpected or relatively unexpected defenseman contract. Right. And I think it could easily be him. If you're, if you're like, Hey, we need to add that guy and Severson goes or Severson's too expensive. And you want guy who's a little more defensive graves goes Gavrikov's off the board. Like somebody is going to talk themselves into this is the physical presence we need in our top four. Right. And if you have the cap space, I think you're going to see some team make that bet on Scott Mayfield. Not a bet I would be crazy about necessarily, depending on what the term is and all that. But yeah, I wouldn't I would that wouldn't shock me at all if somebody ends up uh, going there with Scott Mayfield. Uh six fifty, six fifty is the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox and uh uh, this is something I wanted to get into a little bit yesterday, but we got a little distracted by the uh, three-team trade, or a lot distracted, really. But uh, Todd has bad takes text in. He says uh, Todd. Good-
1: Todd, by the way, always has good. Takes. I know he always
0: has. He always has good takes. I know. <laughs> so, but I hey, I can I can appreciate a little self-deprecating humor from Todd has bad takes. But anyway, sure. But he, but it's like Little John in Robin Hood. Yes, exactly. Okay. Uh, uh, he says, "Good athletic article today." He actually think I think he means the one you posted yesterday, but you did have a good one today too. Which, which we one mentioned? Which one somewhere. did I post yesterday? The buyouts one with uh, with harm. Oh yeah, okay. Uh, anyway, so he says, "Good athletic article today." Drance, wondering if a mantha. For Besser trade might make sense. Washington gets a younger, more productive player. Van gets a bigger, shorter-term player at slightly less salary. That's from Todd. Has bad takes, and again, that ties into a piece you and uh, Harmon had up at the Athletic yesterday, looking at buyout potential, buyout players, not just for the Canucks but around the NHL. What the cost would be, the motivation, the likelihood of all of these different potential buyouts happening, and you know, much like Todd has bad takes, was clearly doing. I was reading it through the lens of. Are there targets here that either if they're bought out, do they become targets for the Canucks? Or is there a situation where another team is looking at this and saying, man, we'd rather not buy out this player. Yeah. And is there something the Canucks can do? Well, because they have guys like that as well. That's how how all buyout lists, like buyout candidates lists,
1: should be looked at, right? Like all of these guys are also trade targets because they're problems yep. that a team would view through the lens of we need to solve this if we can, right? So I think that's a savvy way of looking at it. Is is as a like
0: backdoor trade, trade targets list? Like, right. hey, guys who are not are, are going to be available and not for much for potentially other distressed assets, right? Or oh, yeah, this is your hockey trades options
1: list. Yes, I, I mean, look, any deal where Vancouver, you know, like I I think Vancouver could move Brock Besser from from the perspective of like, would you buy this guy out? Okay,
3: mm-hmm.
1: I think Vancouver could easily avoid moving bro- or uh, buying out Brock Besser if you retained two million dollars worth of a salary. Mm-hmm. I think I think Brock Besser at six point six is awfully difficult to move. I think Brock Besser at four point six is very simple to move, very easy. I think he might even have value. There's at least some team out there that would be like, "Hey, this is a consistent." You know, 20 goal guy this is a guy who has 311 points in 398 games in his career. I mean, when you really think about that, you know, it's pretty imp- impressive. Like, effectively, Brock Besser has scored at a 64 point per 82 game pace over the course of his NHL career. That ain't bad. In fact, that's really good. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> i love i can see you like in real time being like really struck <laughs> by, by the consistency no but of i it. know it
1: i know it i mean there's a reason that does yeah. Does besser have a stauncher defender in this market than me i don't think at so. least at least i mean other people will defend him from a, like quality of person mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. he's been through a lot perspective but like i feel like i'm the only guy who pounds the table and is like this guy's really good this guy's a really good player he had a he had a tough defensive year but he's a super consistent point producer who's 26 years old. Like, my my bare case for Brock Besser, right? Like, what I think he is at the low end is right-handed Thomas Tatar. hmm Which is fine. Thomas Tatar keeps getting paid for a reason. He's going to sign, like, another $3 million contract this summer. <laughs> you
0: know, like... Anyway... What we're we talking about? I'm sorry, I've uh, the, completely lost my train of thought. The Besser for Mantha potential, but also just like the Besser situation in general. If you're looking at selling him out or selling him out, buying him out versus <laughs> or retaining selling him out. versus you know, in general, yeah, any deal I think where the
1: Canucks take one of those one of that class of players, right? The Myers, Besser, Garland, Oel tier. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the the pro the, those are
0: the what the organization the big itself for would... problem contracts.
1: Yeah, except I.
0: They are so not... They're not equivalent. In there's, a group. There's massive differences between them all, and they're all different lengths and different money we, and different performance, all of that. We but. should absolutely split. Like, for me, I'd tier it this way. You ready? I would tear it this way. I would tear it as, like,
1: significant long-term liabilities, mm-hmm. which are the toughest to move. Mm-hmm. And when I use liabilities, I, I use it in the financial sense, not in the... Those are guys that are like not in the athletic sense yeah, yeah, yeah. or the competitive sense. Yeah. Not like you can't put them out there for a late faceoff. And and I would group OEL and Miller together even though obviously there's a massive gulf in the quality of those players and the and the potential return of those deals in the short term, but I would group them together because those are deals that extend through 2027-2030 for guys who are 30 plus. Mm-hmm. Like I view those as the riskiest assets on the Canucks books. Independent of the fact that J.T. Miller is a point per game player and a star, mm-hmm. okay, like to me those would be the deals that I'd group together. Then I would group Myers in, an, in, in, in on his own, yes, because it's expiring, expiring. Yeah. but also because it's not buyoutable, right? And because it, it, like, it's a total. It's it's also on a different scale in terms of inefficiency than Besser and Garland. Garland's deals. And then I'd I'd group. Besser separately from Garland too because for me Garland is basically a fair value contract and and Besser's is a, is a you know he needs to bounce back to get there but it but like that would be my scale and I would throw Miller into the group not because of his performance but because of the risk associated with that extension and so anyway we had one text in that was like, what would you do to clear? Hold on, the- hold on,
0: okay, I th- you've you've gotten down the road on this point a couple of times. And I think I know what you're trying to say. What you're about to say, yeah. So you're saying, take one of those deals. If you're making a trade where you're where there's less term attached, right? Which would be Mantha, Sorry, Yes, better for Mantha. That's a win. That's a win. Okay, that's what I thought Any, you were trying to say.
1: Anytime you're subtracting term from the commitment, yep. that's that's effectively clearing cap space.
0: With the benefit of time. Yeah. So I, and, and the mantha Besser one, that's something that's occurred to me a lot as well. It it stands out as a like for like, they're really unhappy with mantha. He plays on the wings. Like, do they want, you know, they, they get a guy who's been more productive and it's lesser salary for Vancouver and, and less term. Like there's a lot of reasons why that could make sense.
1: Yeah. And Besser would fit. I think Besser would fit well on a team where they play pretty deliberately. Mm. like they don't play fast. No. Nope. Um there's a lot of like there's a lot of thinking man's game on that team. I think Besser could figure out how to slot into the power play. Uh you know, TJ Oshie's had some durability issues over the past 2 years, right? He, I mean, he hasn't played more than uh he hasn't played more than um 70 games since 2018, right? Like it's been a while since Oshie was um like a, an everyday player from a from a health perspective, he's 36 now, and you know he's right-handed. Profiles a lot like Besser. They know each other well, right? Both both uh University of North Dakota alum, and so you know could Besser end up filling Oshi's role when injuries crop up on PP one for the Caps and and be a pretty good fit there. I, I mean, I think so. So, you know, yeah, I, I mean that one makes sense to me. Like that one makes sense to me, but. Yeah. Again, I I mean, if you're if you're trying to solve your cap issues long term and and this is this is how I'd look at it. Right. Like. You start with the biggest liabilities you have, you know, And, and for me anyway. If this team wanted to restore like long term flexibility and cap sanity to their books, you know, if you're if you're committing real assets or. Committing future cap space in the form of buyouts to get off of a deal, like the only the only deals that I think really makes sense to pay for, to get off, would be the really long ones. Yeah, and and obviously I don't even think you'd have to pay to get off of Miller. I still think he'd have value. So, um, you know, that, that to me anyway, you start you start at the top if you're a team in Vancouver's position.
0: Well, and that's why you know we get people texting in sometimes because we're always talking about okay, what are they going to do with pick eleven? Are they going to try to move it? Are they going to try to use it to clear salary? And people text in, you know, oh, my nightmare is that they use 11 to trade OEL. And I look at that, and I'm someone who just, as a basic rule, does not want them to use pick 11 to to clear salary cap space, right? Does not want them to trade that pick. But there's a world of difference from using 11 as a sweetener to move OEL versus using 11 as a sweetener to move Myers or Garland or Besser, right? Like, that's the one contract where okay, yeah, it's a ton of pain to miss out on the player that you could draft at 11. That's really, really tough. And yes, it comes back to the question of, well, what would they turn around and do that cap space with? Or do with that cap space? But if there was a world where you could use number 11 to remove your Oliver ekman Larson headache, right? To not exercise a buyout, to get that salary off your books. Like, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think you have to consider uh, doing that. So that's like the one... The one contract I would say, you know what? I'm willing to bend on don't trade 11 to clear salary cap space. If you, if it's getting you off OEL, you absolutely do that. Now, I don't think that's happening. Man. I don't think that's happening. Like, I don't think it's enough even necessarily. Well, he's got the NMC, too. And he has the NMC, but it's like, no, man, if you can do that, like, that would be incredible, I think. I, that would, I think you do that every day of the week. Yeah. It's such a big contract, and so and you're getting so little for it for over the next four years, right? So... That that's the that's the one, the the one I would be willing
1: to do. I just you trade the ninth for OEL. You trade the eleventh to get off of OEL. The cycle repeats. It's not great. It's not great. Uh, It's it's also something I think about a lot. I mean, this is something I think about a lot, and you know, should I? I don't know. But the the (laughs) that's the life we've chosen. (laughs) So here's the thing I think about a lot is. When you look at, for example, the 2020 NHL entry draft, and that's the draft in which Vancouver surrendered their first round pick to acquire JT Miller, a trade which, by the way, Vancouver got better value out of Miller, Mm -hmm. and his asset value appreciated prior to his extension to the point where he would have carried more value than the 20th overall pick or the prospect taken with it. Mm -hmm. So I want to be clear, I'm not relitigating the JT Miller trade by any means. But when you think about the players, whether it's Shakir Mahmoudoulin, who was the actual player Mm -hmm. traded for Miller, but when you look up and down the list, like, you know, the players taken in in and around that range, whether it's, you know, Dawson Mercer, Braden Schneider, Lucas Reichel, who's probably going to be Bedard's running mate Mm -hmm. next season, you know, Hendricks LaPierre, Connor Zeri, Jake Neighbors, um, for the most part, these are players who have played, like, six NHL games. You know, I, there's some outliers. There's a couple guys, like Dawson Mercer has now played two full seasons. But for the most part, um, you know, these are guys who are haven't quite arrived yet, but will begin to, especially for those that are good enough to to really play, beginning next season. hmm so the impact from a you feel the cost of that trade because other teams have the have the ELC guys contributing and you don't because you made a win-now deal doesn't begin to hit until next year, right? And then the next year after that is when you begin to feel the hit from the OAL trade. And it's like not until 2027, 2028 that you'll begin to feel the hit from the Philip deal. Right, right. And and again, I bring this up not to relitigate spilled milk or the deals of the past, but to point out that when we talk about those fundamentals, when we talk about your pipeline, your cap flexibility, mm-hmm. right? The the checklist stuff. The downside to selling futures. For the benefit of now, that we've seen the Canucks do characteristically since 2019, like it's only going to start to be felt now, and that's a scary thought, given how little the Canucks have actually gotten <laughs> out of out of dealing those futures in the first place from a team success perspective.
0: Well, and that's the thing. Just to let's say hypothetically, you had a deal, right? OEL is willing to waive his no move clause, and you have a deal. It's pick 11 and OEL. The whole thing's off your books, right? And then in t- 2029, 20, you begin to feel it. 100%. But so the the for that to make sense, and this is something you and I talk about a lot, right? Like, okay, well, what are the next steps? Because there's no question you can get value out of doing that type of deal and having that cap space open. But what are your next steps? If it's signing Damon Severson to a $6.5 million AAV deal, I'm not sure that makes a ton of sense. If it's no. starting to do like the trade we saw from Philly, right, where they're taking on distressed assets and rebuilding their capital, their draft capital, which they can use to rebuild their picks, uh, uh, their prospect pipeline, right? If you're doing that with the cap space you open up, then I think it's worth it. I think it's worth that pain down the road that you're talking about. But, yeah, if you're doing it, if you're missing out on 11 and you're just doing it to try to juice this team by a few points for this year with no concern for the future, then it wouldn't make sense. No, then right? that, like, that, that Then it's just more of the same. But I yeah. do think it would have – you could do that deal in a way that was – charting a different course for the team right but it would all depend on what actually uh came after it in that case but also it's probably not gonna happen yeah so it would be very (laughs) true peak june 7th radio right there because it's probably not going to happen this whole
1: segment was (laughs) yeah it was great we had a text in that said this show's like seinfeld it's a show about nothing and and i
0: took that as a compliment well i love it it's like i'm gonna really burn these guys your your show is like one of the most popular television programs of all time it's like ouch oh you got us you got us, buddy. Uh, speaking of, uh, I don't know, talking about nothing, uh, Dmitry Filipovich will draft something, but we'll talk about some real substantive hockey stuff. Uh, what's going on in the Stanley Cup final right now with our guy, host of the Hockey PDO cast, Dmitry Filipovich. Coming up next, Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie dodd Strantz, live from the Kintex studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner and Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. I've uh, I've tricked my brain into thinking it's Friday. I've got like a Friday dopamine hit here, which is going to be a tough, it's, a rude awakening it's tomorrow cause, morning. It's because it's hot out? Yeah. And our guy, Dimitri, is here. And normally we speak to him on Fridays. Game three of the NBA Finals.
1: Sure. It's Jokic season, baby!
0: Uh, We can get into uh, all your your various degenerate prop bets a little later in the show. I'm so mad. uh, Yeah, joining us here in studio, as usual, uh, a little bit earlier this week, he's the host of the Hockeypedio cast, our guy, Dimitri Filipovich. What's going on, man?
3: What an intro being associated with a Friday afternoon. That is, I mean, I can't, I can't ask for like, any more. I,
0: I think I was telling you this last week. It's like, I'm always in a good mood when I see you. Because I'm like, oh, it's the last segment of the, of the week. I'm excited to go home and enjoy the weekend.
3: I'm happy to see you, dude. Thank
2: this you. Is gonna be, this is, is, is going to be fun. You. I else are
0: going to have some that. fun here today. Yeah. All right. Um, Golden Knights up to nothing. Series back to Florida. Now we have an interminable wait before the next game. How, okay. How about this? How reflective is the score to how close this series has been? Is is it is it closer than a lot of people are giving it credit for?
3: Yeah, I thought game one was really close, particularly through the first 40 minutes. That one really could have gone either way. Then Vegas kind of tightened the screws in the third period, took over, and I think rightfully won that game. But Florida should, have, should be kicking themselves, feeling like they let that one slip away. Yeah. Game two, right from the jump, Vegas was all over them, never really stood a chance. So I think Vegas has been the better team, but I'm not necessarily ready to just completely... Count Florida out. This See, one I thought Vegas had
1: a good start. So I'm just going to give you, like, my my take on why I think this has been far narrower than the... Well, no, this isn't exactly a hot take. I think it's been far narrower than the 12-5 aggregate scoreline. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, Vegas comes out and dominates the first 10 minutes in Game 2. But Florida's all over them yep. for the rest of the period. Have that power play opportunity where Aiden Hill has to make, like, what, four saves on five alarm chances yep. yep. and then it goes the other way and Bobrovsky kind of goes down too early allows a softie to Martinez and then I thought the Panthers looked pretty threatening up until Nick Waugh beat Bobrovsky
3: short side I thought you were gonna say until the referees just randomly took one their best player and one of the best players in the world out of the game for 12 minutes for no reason
1: well that was at the end of the second
3: I know but also outrageous it was outrageous. it was a four nothing game not that we were expecting him to come back no. but like inexplicable
1: it was inexplicable but i will say i saw a lot of complaining about the officiating some of it valid but most of it being like you can't blame the officials when you lose
3: 7-2 yes well i mean we can we can quibble with the officiating while also acknowledging that it well, doesn't no, necessarily no. I think influence it's for, the outcome i think it's fair to say you to
1: quibble with the officiating and i think it deserves it in a lot of ways for for how game two played out i just think the idea that the Panthers got job. You got to is... keep it in perspective. Yeah. yeah. You <laughs> that, keep it in perspective. It's a, it's a, flies it's a in the sliding face all scale, right? Yeah. 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 yeah.
0: This is not like the one crucial missed call that would have sent the game to overtime. This is like, yeah, it was weird. You also lost seven, two. So, yes. so maybe slow down uh, a little bit there. Um, okay. To the extent that Vegas has, you know, been the better team here, they're up to nothing. What have they done to gain the upper hand in this series so
3: far? That's, that's a great question. I mean, they've dominated in all three zones. To my eye right in the offensive zone they've obviously gotten to the areas and then gotten the shots off that previous opponents against Bobrovsky weren't able to they've really benefited from that tendency that Tom mentioned of Bobrovsky at the sign of first trouble Mm -hmm. just going down and trying to get as low as possible they've clearly made a concerted effort to aim high and try to pick corners that's worked for them the neutral zone they've really slow down Florida haven't given them much off the rush attack themselves and then in the defensive zone this Bruce Cassidy system we were mentioning this on our Friday preview at mm. uh, the Canadians game wondering how Florida would be able to attack behind the net or whether they'd be able to break through that they haven't really so far they're keeping everything to the margins and the outside and Florida hasn't really been able to, to pose a threat to that
1: here's something I found really interesting watching this game play out because I thought Florida had an opportunity to use what I considered to be their speed advantage to to give Vegas some problems, particularly with their forecheck. And instead, you know, having watched the Florida Panthers forecheck just demolish like a Leafs team that likes to move methodically in an organized fashion up ice and a Carolina Hurricanes team that moves up ice quickly but with absolutely no um, connectivity or no intentional connectivity. Right. Florida is just so disciplined, or sorry, Vegas has just been so disciplined about hitting their centerman constantly. Just like yep. constantly, they're making that pop pass into the middle on the breakout. And all of Carlson, Stevenson, Eichel. and Eichel mm-hmm. are finding gobs of space to move. Yep. Is, are you surprised by how significantly Florida's much vaunted pass rush has been neutered in this series so far.
3: I have, yeah. I am, I'm I, I, I am, I am. I mean, Vegas does have a very unique set of personnel, right? Not mm-hmm. only the, the the centers that you illustrated there to to carry the puck up the ice once they get that pass, but also the wingers like Mark Stone, Riley Smith, so on and so forth, Barbashev, yeah. to actually be able to make that little pop pass into well, the middle and, of the and, ice as well. And to absorb contact yes.
1: and still get it in the middle of the ice. And I think that's been key for their defense too. Like, their size has almost been used more as puck protection as opposed to like, they're playing skilled hockey as bigger men, as opposed to using their size
0: to mix it up. Does that make sense? Yeah. They're big defensemen, but it's not as if, and therefore they're doing off the glass and out all the time, right? Yes. Cause they no. can't handle the puck. No, they're yeah. big, they're big yeah.
1: defensemen and their yeah. and their, their size is facilitating puck possession. It's a really contemporary way to use that beef.
3: Well, they don't they don't play a dump and chase style like the team I'm about to reference, but it reminds me a lot of that like twenty twelve Kings mm. Stanley Cup champion sure. where mm. there was if you wanted to push the agenda of like, see, size is all that matters in today's game, you can do that because you can just list the the heights of their defensemen. But what well, you don't really Acknowledges that they're not sacrificing skill to do so, right? And right. those players are very difficult to find. It's not like these guys are just like, all right, we're just gonna find the tallest six guys we can and put them on the back end, and yeah, they're gonna do everything. It's like these guys are very good hockey players.
0: Yeah. Well, and I feel like we've internalized at forward for a while now. Like, it's not just size; it's what you do with your size right. and your strength. Like, if you can be really big, but if you're always on the outside, you can't get to the front of the net. It's not gonna count for much. Versus if you're Brayden Point and you're winning all these battles and you're still able to get to the front of the net, it matters a lot. And to your point thomas i feel like we're kind of seeing this on the back end with vegas right where it's like okay you can be a really big defenseman but what are you doing with that size are you still using it to play a puck possession game and i i wonder if that's almost the lesson is kind of taking some of what we know about forwards and how they use their size and translating it to the blue line here in this series
3: it is there's one big lesson from this vegas team that i really implore everyone to take and it's at both ends of the ice offensive zone defensive zone Under Bruce Cassidy, they made a stylistic change going from a quantity team, previously under Pete DeBoer, to a quality team, right? They control shot quality at both ends of the ice, and that's a huge reason why they are going to win the Stanley Cup. And that's the biggest takeaway, not the size of this team. And that's uh, a notable comparison to your
0: least favorite team, the
1: Carolina Hurricanes. There we go, yes.
3: (laughs) Oh, man, I would have loved to watch them play against the Hurricanes in the Stanley Cup final. That would have been quite a matchup.
1: I think the other big lesson, of course, is hunt for stars. Why yeah. did why did why did everyone not call on Jack Eichel? We all knew it too. Like, we all knew it. It's it I know it was risky, but it boggles my mind. Anyway, here's a here's another stylistic thing that I wanna note. I've been really surprised as this series has gone along by how conservative Vegas has been in terms of sending pressure against the Florida Panthers. Mm-hmm. It it feels to me like they only ever send one when Mark Stahl is on the ice. And otherwise, they are are backing off. They are spending a lot of, like, pressure arrives close to the blue. And it's so fascinating to watch guys like Montour and Mahura and some of the pressure breakers that the Panthers have, Forsling, that -hmm. the Panthers have on the back end. Because it feels to me like when you pressure them, they can beat your blitz. But when you don't, they sometimes skate themselves into trouble, and and I feel like that's been a, a sh- that that's another part of the series. Like, if you ask me, like, what are you most surprised by in in terms of what's unfolded? The two things would be this and how easily Vegas appears to have solved the Florida
3: Florida forecheck. You mean the Florida's breakout in this sense? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well for um Vegas runs a very passive forecheck in that way typically. Mm-hmm. They 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 mix it up a bit against Dallas cuz I feel I think they like you know smelled blood in the water against Hayeskin in particular just cuz yeah. like they were just beating him up all series and by the end they're like, sure. all right, let's kind of send the house at him." But in general, they run more like a 1-4 where they send that one guy after him, right? And he lures them into moving up the ice where you just have a trap essentially waiting for you. And th- th- what they do really well is they turn that puck over and then they're one of the quickest teams at flipping the ice and counterattacking off the rush, right? right? And that's what they've done to Florida time and time again throughout these two games. That's something to watch for, certainly. That's a good point.
1: Looks like Radko Gudis is going to play, although he was too hurt to practice today. Mm, That's not good. Sergei Bobrovsky announced as the starter, one would think that Florida will go 11-7 again, just just to guard themselves against a Gudis departure, as we saw in game two. What does it look like? for this series to flip in Florida's favor?
3: Uh, I mean, first off, they're just going to need a few more bounces. Like, they're going mm. to be a bit, a bit of luck. Certainly, they haven't gotten any bounces so far in these two games. I don't think they've played nearly as poorly as the scoreline would indicate. You know, you made this point when you and I did uh, our big series preview on my show where you were kind of worried about Florida's depth and how it would hold up in a series against the deepest team in the league. And we've seen that as well, right? Yeah, in Game I Two. Have. Eric Stahl got absolutely crushed when he was on the ice. Josh Mahura, without his regular partner, Radko Goudas, yeah, was on the ice good. for three five-on-five goals against in, like, 13 minutes. That's and, been a and big we've problem. we Mark
1: Stahl look like Mark Stahl yep. far more regularly in this series than we did all playoffs combined.
0: And Vegas' depth has been really good on yes. the flip side. Well, that no. fourth line is unbelievable. unbelievable. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Um, is that the best fourth line at this point? Like, there's no comparison between, like, Pie, Thornton and Greg Campbell, right? Like, this is the best fourth line I can remember
3: ever seeing. Well, it is because they have like a second line center. Yeah. Center <laughs> Seriously. So. And once again, everyone that's frustrated at Vegas for cap shenanigans or all oh, the league gifted them this team, anyone could have offer-sheeted Nick Waugh. Yeah. Anyone could have offer-sheeted well, Nick Hague. Also, they traded for him. Like, none of those three guys were acquired in expansion. Yeah. Don't be mad at Vegas. Be mad at your team for not taking advantage of Vegas when they couldn't retain all these and players. how many, like,
0: young, rebuilding, but want to take a step forward teams would have been thrilled to put Nick Waugh in their top six, right? Like, absolutely thrilled. Like, wow, yep. this guy, he's huge. He moves. He's responsible. Like, it, it would have been a home run, and now he's on the fourth line for this team. Well, let me let me flip this. So, I
1: don't remember who Nick Waugh was traded for, but it was ridiculous. Uh, and it was a trade with a smart team. It was a oh, trade it was with the, the Carolina Hurricanes. hurricanes. You know. I mean, um, Oh, it was, uh, so Wah was traded by the the Hurricanes along with the 2021 fifth for Eric Halla. So you turn Halla into Wa. You land Brett Howden right before the expansion process for a fourth because, of course, Vegas was um, not required to expose a player in the expansion process. And then they added Chandler Stevenson for a fifth. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you are literally conjuring quality defensemen or quality centermen out of thin air, Uh, You're going to have a good team. How How do they do it?
3: Great question. The
1: Chandler-Stevens Chandler one,
0: Stevenson one, is one of the wilder. See, like, I think the Brett Howden one is the wildest one.
3: Yeah, Waw, he looked Waw, he looked terrible.
1: He he legitimately looked like. He's he playing on the wing, lie. though, right
0: now, right? I know, but he's been and good Stevenson's at Stevenson's, like, been a stud center for them throughout the playoffs and, and for many seasons now at this point. You know, like, we always say, like, well, you don't just find those guys. You know what I mean? Like, top six centers who can drive play for they you in the playoffs. They found three of them. They did. It's, it's wild how they did it, it was, especially with Stevenson, is the one that really stands out to me. Yeah, I mean two straight
1: seasons 65
0: points.
1: I know.
3: Well, playing with Mark Stone's pretty fun.
1: I know, but yeah. that but that caps team's also like really good at pro scouting. I mean, this is not Yeah. It's not like they're like they're counting cards at the Bellagio. They're not, you know, mm. off the strip somewhere. <laughs> I mean, this is incredible. Honestly, I'm baffled by this. Someone give their pro stuff staff. Do is. you
0: think it's something sustainable or like I mean, obviously it's a little bit of skill, but I I remember when people used to talk about Detroit and like, oh, they drafted Lidström and whatever round and Datsuk and Zetterberg, and you know they're just gonna keep finding those guys. It's like, well, actually, no. It's really, really hard to hit yeah. on outliers like that repeatedly and in clumps like that. Is it like how much of it is sustainable what Vegas is doing with these guys?
3: I mean, I'm sure there's gonna be a downturn at some point, especially like you look at like the Petrangelo contract, for example, right? There's gonna be A point in their organizational timeline where there's going to be a lean period. I will say though, Tom, like there's a lot that goes into having a successful NHL organization, and part of it is certainly having good players on the ice. The other is spending a lot of money off the ice as well for having like every like state of the art, um, you know, ring equipment, everything. Like there's no expenses that you're not fully paying for. And Vegas, by all accounts like does everything the right so way thoughtful. off the ice in terms of that where I can't say that for all NHL organizations. Right. And so I think there's part of that as well, where obviously the personnel they have is tremendous, but it also is uh, a gold standard uh, organization for lack of a better word off the ice as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I
1: mean, even, uh, even like they manage the cap better than anyone else. And it's like, was hiring general fanager a smart call?
3: Yeah. Yeah. You know,
1: you know I mean? It, it, it's incredible. Should we draft?
3: Uh, hold
0: on. What do you make okay. of, because um, Florida, it's like, they've, they built this reputation as, oh, they get under your skin and they're these pests and they're so tough to play against and they've tried to do that against Vegas but Vegas seems almost like perfectly suited just to maintain their composure and not let it annoy them. In any way, it almost feels like maybe Florida's uh, getting in their own heads a little bit, right? Like trying to play that game and just having it have no effect on Vegas.
3: Yeah. I mean, Vegas is essentially doing everything Florida did in the first three rounds, just like, Bigger, better, and faster than them, and that must be very frustrating. I can where they imagine
0: that be really frustrating. Yeah, where they
3: ran into someone in the <laughs> playground. Where you're like, I thought I had a good, and then all of a sudden you, you bump into someone. And you're like, Wow! outclassed me
0: in every way. Yeah, that's not great. Yeah, that so it doesn't
3: feel good. It's. Uh, I think there's certainly an element of that as well, right? So I, I don't know. Vegas, just from top to bottom, this this group is is very well constructed. Very lack of lack of flaws to really pick on, and I think there's a reason why they're two wins from the cup. They're also all good two way players.
1: Like, it's really hard to find a guy on Vegas who's empty
0: calories in any respect. Is there a single guy you worry about having on the ice in any situation, right? Like, obviously, there's matchups you would prefer for different defense pairings and different lines. But is there, like, a oh, man, this guy's out there against that guy. That's a panic scenario. You you know, I guess we should actually include in
1: the they find centers everywhere discussion, they claimed Michael Amadio on waivers. And Mm -hmm. I was going to say to you, Michael Amadio to me is the only guy who I feel like is a passenger in any respect, and yet I also think he's good. Yeah, he's fine too. Like he's, he's
3: totally he can, good. He can convert on a lot of the places on a lot of places that he's they set up.
1: He's smart enough that he's defensively sound and skilled enough to punish mistakes. And that's I mean, what more do you need from a third liner? Like yeah. that's perfect. They're a complimentary
0: third line player
1: and who claims off waivers. And he's a right handed centerman who's playing on the wing.
0: Yep. Not bad. Uh okay. We doing we doing our uh our, yeah, let's our draft. ridiculous draft here. So, so this is
3: you lay it out. This is not that ridiculous. This is one draft. of the least ridiculous drafts we've well, done. We drafted pants. <laughs>
0: we did
1: draft pants. That was great. That was fun. <laughs> um okay, so we're drafting UFA defensemen, twenty twenty-three UFA defensemen, who benefit the most from the Gavrikov comparable, from the ability to take that Gavrikov comparable to market and be like, if that guy's worth 5-7, five seven, I'm worth X. All right. So I want, I want to hear the draft, and I want to hear the explanation. I think,
0: I think we should let uh,
3: Dmitry pick go first. Go first
0: okay. as the guest on the show.
3: Oh man. Well, is it cheating to say Dmitry
1: Orlov? Um. Well, no. But why do you think he benefits from? Why would he be cheating?
3: Well, because he's a significantly better player. So if I'm him, I'm and his agent. I'm going to whatever team signing with <clears throat> Washington, uh, and maybe that's gonna decrease his leverage a little bit because it seems like he's just gonna go back. But he's clearly the best player at his position in this year's class, and that would have included Gadrekhov if he had made it to the presidency. Fair enough. My, so, my,
1: my, but I don't know that. Does like he he would have been the better, best player anyway.
3: Yeah. So you're and saying he's, you're he's saying not, this didn't really move it. I would say he's that. not well, complimentary
0: no, I I think to Dim's point, like if. If worse players are getting better, yeah. good contracts like that pushes you up. Right? I would say nearly like, there has to be a gap between me and this guy. See, I would have said see, that. See, I
1: don't buy that argument though, because he's he's a two-way. He's a different type of two-way guy. Gavrikov's getting paid the pellic Esselindel deal because of his defensive play. Orlov's a, Orlov's just a totally different magnitude of guy, in my opinion. But uh,
3: but it's fine. no. But what I'm saying is. If a couple weeks ago, I would have said that five we stick
1: to drafting silly. Five
3: point eight or whatever for Gavrikov would have been too pricey for me. Right. Agreed. The, the fact that he just like effortlessly got that and was able to dictate the terms, right, where he gets all of the money in signing bonuses and he gets oh, to go back in UFA no two years from yeah. now. Yeah, like he just wielded a lot of leverage into getting everything he wanted. So what I'm saying is that a significantly better player should be able to go on the open market and say, well, if this happened for this guy, I get to have every single one of my demands met. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. You want to go second? I'll uh, go third.
0: Yeah, I'll go, um, I'll go for my guy who I've been banging the drum for really on pre- purely arbitrary reasons here for most of the week, but I'll go with Ryan Graves um you've really been banging <laughs> just the ryan like graves really stroke. taking a shine to ryan graves for whatever Are you representing
3: <laughs> <Ryan Graves? laughs>
0: boy i wish mm-hmm. what a what a career change that would be yeah. um but like similar age right left shot defenseman profiles as a two-way guy and again it's just one of the options for guys look for if a team is looking for an under 30 guy who can hold up in your top four who can play meaningful minutes in a contender Gavrikov's off the board. There's only so many options out there. One of them is Graves. That puts him up to do very well. All right, so I'm picking
1: twice in a row, and I'm picking Scott Mayfield. Mm. Scott Mayfield has, under the radar, started to play a massive minutes burden for the Islanders over the past two years. He's 30, but he's super physical. Between Vegas and the Gavrikov comparable, Scott Mayfield is set up nicely to clean up in free agency. And I'll go with Damon Severson. Damon Severson just has so much more experience, so many more points, is right-handed. I mean, uh, like, would six and a half surprise you at this point for Severson, given the comparable? All.
0: Would seven? Seven would maybe a little bit. I don't even, I, like, I think that's within the uh, the realm of possibility. So you're ripping on Dim's pick because Orlov is so different than Gavrikov, and then you pick Damon Severson? Severson's less different than Orlov is.
1: Bigger. He's bigger, lar- he's a larger man, who
0: scores or produces way less. S-
3: wait, Severson is a You think Severson league? is closer to Gavrikov than Orlov is closer he to He might Gavrikov. be physically larger. I would say Orlov plays a significantly more sure, aggressive game. Sure, but, but
1: Severson's 6'2", 200+, and Orlov is not, plus Orlov's 31.
3: Okay. Yeah, he is taller. That's right.
0: All right, I will take.
3: Uh, <laughs> it doesn't matter, but it's... Or should we should we sort this cat friendly page by height? Like, is that is that is that, <laughs> the, that, is that, that, that what, the assignment
1: here? This sorry, sorry. I thought I th- if you want to if you want to project
3: salaries,
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, Nico
3: Mikola, step right up. All right, he,
1: um, he's actually a winner. He's yeah. a good pick. We're
0: uh, good we're, dark horse. We're going to we'll just do two rounds on this one. Kay. So I'll with my last pick, I will take uh, Carson Susie for a lot of the yep. same reasons. Lower down, right, but under thirty. Uh, bigger has a bit of a two-way profile, you know. A track record of production, not eye-popping, but he's not putting up zeros out there. Seems like a good fit to make money off this deal.
3: Do I get one more? Pick?
0: Yep. Yes, you get the last oh, one. Oh, okay.
3: Justin Hull. There was no way he could come back to Toronto with the baggage there, right? Sure. But all of a sudden now, Kyle Dubas gets another job. They def- they're gonna after Dumoulin leaves, they're gonna have some money open, need a defenseman. Big guy, good zone entry defender. He's had Justin he's
0: Hull. had a couple he's had a good couple weeks. I would love it so much if Kyle Dubis acquired Justin Hol and Matt Murray in his first off with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Or, or
1: Justin Hol and Michael Bunting. Yes. yes, yes. I would love to see Michael Hol sign a big contract. Michael? What did I call him?
3: You call him Michael. Michael. Oh, you I got put, stuck you put between in Bunting, Bunting and Hull. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Justin Hole, I'd love to see him sign up for a whole lot of money in a market like New York. You know, someplace that has like a New York Post style tabloid, so that we could get like the whole lot of money headline. Very good. Much like, much like when the Toronto Sun ran the Maple Leafs give their fans the finger after they signed <laughs> Jeff Finger yeah. in free agency. It's a pretty that was, good one. That was fabulous. That's
0: a pretty good one. All right. Uh, thank you to Dimitri for joining us. Thank you to Dan Milstein for joining us earlier as well. We will be back tomorrow. You've got it on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.